Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to The Blind Spot. And Happy New Year. I am here with Freya Kennedy, who you can find at FriaKennedy.com. And I met Freya in my Enneagram shift class with Russ Hudson and Jessica Dibb. And Freya is a transformationalist. And I just love this title. That is like the coolest thing. I think that's what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) And she's done a lot of work with Marion Gilbert and really brings a lot of somatic wisdom to her teachings and her coaching. So she works with corporate and individuals and couples and really anybody that wants to bring transformational energy into their world. So Freya is a two with a three wing, so I am again talking to my mirror here, and she is sexual, self-pres, social blind, and she identifies uh, with a trifix of 278, and her Myers-Briggs cognitive functions traditionally have been ENFJ, sometimes uh, the P slips in there, so we can talk a little bit about that, but um, without uh, further ado, Freya, I just want to welcome you here. Did uh, anything you want to add to that introduction? And thanks for being here. No, thanks for having me. Mm, it's so great. Yeah, we've been talking offline a little bit, and this was one of these things where I'm like, oh my God, I could talk to you forever. And let's hit record because I also would like to get a podcast episode this week. And I think we've been pinging around each other for about, you know, four or five months and have finally landed on this opportunity. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. So I'm tempted to talk a little bit about your Enneagram journey, but I'm also tempted to talk a little bit about what it's like to go through the holidays with a lot of two and three energy. I don't know. Are you more drawn to start with one of those topics or the other, knowing that either one could probably be a whole episode. And I just kind of want to check in and see what's more alive for you in this moment. Yeah, I mean, I am open to either, I think, maybe more about the holidays and what it's like to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Because um, the only thoughts that I was having that I just want to throw into the space after speaking to you is this whole thing where you said, you know, I've touched as an ENFJ, but sometimes as an ENFP. And, you know, I just want to name that with a lot of these tests and a lot of these assessments, they don't take into account that we are not static objects and that typology is about the journey. It's not really about saying this is what you are, because as we know in the Enneagram world, we are not our type. We are not our stack. We are not our trifix or our Myers-Briggs. You know, we are this evolving being that has a set of habits that habitually can show up as a certain type or as a certain stack. And so my suspicion is that you probably are an ENFJ that has done so much personal growth work that you're not as rigid as you might have been. And you now flow a lot more like a P, just like your two with a three wing structure will keep revisiting you 
but I'm sure that you feel like you have access to so many other points as a result of all the somatic work and other work that you've done. How do you feel about that? Yeah, for sure. And it's been a while since I've, um, you know, even done one of those check-ins with the Myers-Briggs, but yeah, that's true. I mean, and I, when I first took it, I was much younger and hadn't done any therapy or, and I hadn't been probably married very long, (laughs) you know, all that had kids, all the things, all the conflict, all the butting up of different, um, ideas. Um, I busted out of the bubble and the containers that I, uh, was in through Christianity for a lot of my life. And so my world expanded and that makes sense that, that, uh, that would shift. Yeah, absolutely. And am I accurate in saying that you're middle-aged like me? Do you identify with that point in your life? <laughs> I'm 47. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't know if that title is one this image center likes, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've been trying to celebrate it. Yeah. Um well, and I just love that you know, beauty and youth, isn't this an interesting concept because that's what comes up when you ask a woman her age and of course, we have this body that is of this earth. And uh, yeah, my daughter, it was interesting. She was home and we were looking at old pictures. And I was like, when you look at me now, do I look like an almost 50-year-old woman? And she's like, well, it's really funny. When I saw you all the time, I never thought of you as 50. And now that I don't see you as often, when I come home and see you, I can tell that you're getting old. And I'm like, well, thank you for your honesty. And yes, like there are certain things about our bodies that are changing, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because at the beginning of COVID, I got notified by blood work and symptoms, you know, that I'm in menopause and not really being in um, sexual instinct, that being my dominant, I wasn't aware of it. The initial response was, I am going to be undesirable. And I was devastated. And I didn't even know what to do with it. And I called a girlfriend. She read me this beautiful poem or a saying like from indigenous people that was that when a woman starts her cycle, she meets her wisdom while she's on her cycle. All those years she's practicing her wisdom. And when she hits menopause, she becomes her wisdom. Mm. And I will say that although there is, you know, the dissonance and yes, I just am trying out a red light therapy for my face, you know, all those, Mm -hmm. I'm doing the brightening cream, but there's also this part of me that really is consciously stepping in to my wisdom, the matriarchal role. And I only, I credit it to this Enneagram work um, and the, the teachers I'm learning from to have the consciousness to do that. But it is hard. I mean, yeah, beauty and um, yeah, being in that image center. When I think about it almost in some ways like parts work, like there is this part of me that is also, you know, a perimenopausal woman that is stepping into my wisdom and all of those things you were saying. But there is a part of me that is still like a young, beautiful pop queen. And right. <laughs> she's fun to like visit. And I actually went shopping with my daughter for a festival that she's going to for uh, New Year's Eve. And it was one of these like resale shops that had really cool vintage clothes. And there was this like rainbow dress with like silvers 
like not sequins, but whatever. It was sparkly and it was colorful and my seven fix just loved it. And I bought it and I wore it to the John Oliver show on New Year's Eve with a girlfriend of mine who was wearing like a black velvet, much more perimenopausal woman looking dress, but she's so fun. She's like, you wear it. And I'm like, I am because tonight this is who's going out, you know, and to just still allow ourselves to connect with that part and really have fun with it. I think that that brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. And and also there's less self-consciousness at this stage of life. So similarly, like I Growing up the way I did, a lot of shame around my sexuality, around my body, um, and then realizing, oh my gosh, here, this is part of who I am, and the more I embody, the more I love it, and want to, I don't, like, you kind of play, and so I bought myself this, like, bodycon vegan leather skirt that oh, just, I, love it. I mean, and I mean... And I wasn't as self-conscious. I was like, I'm rocking this thing and I'm going to, I love my body and I'm appreciating it for what it is. And sometimes it wants to wear baggy pants and sometimes it wants to go out in this bodycon dress, you know, but there's also, and I love sequins. I love, I've always loved playing dress up and I don't think, and maybe this is the seven or maybe my four. I don't know. It doesn't really matter, but it's here. And so I, I see your bare midriff shots on Facebook and Uh (laughs) yeah, it's so fun. I mean, so I'm actually, you know, launching this new website. And one of the things that I'm putting myself out there is as somebody who really wants to do instinctual energy work. And so as I'm putting out this website, I'm having a photographer do pictures for me and there's going to be a page that's about my self-press side, which is actually my dominant. And because I'm leaning into my blind spot so much more these days, so many people think that I'm sexual dominant because I've had so much fun reclaiming that part and really owning it and putting it out there because as a self-press three, that was the part that my sexual partners saw. But really nobody else. I mean, it didn't feel like it was allowed to play and it was allowed to come out. So my ego was really developed around the self-pres three stuff, which is working really hard and being stable and, you know, having the base, you know, so I'm going to have a page that's like me in my sweats, like with my coffee and my fuzzy socks and my really warm blanket, like in front of the fireplace, like this is my self-pres, which is a very big part of me. And then I'm going to have a page that's about my social instinctual energy, where I'm going to have the sharp businesswoman look that can walk into corporate or walk onto a stage or, you know, go into wherever I am and have that professionalism and that, you know, we're going to engage here in this way. And then we're going to have a page that manifests the sexual instinct. And I think I'm wearing the New Year's Eve dress on this page and like just whatever it is that brings me joy and connects me with that sexual instinctual energy do you follow Jessica uh, Denise Dixon on Facebook? Yes. And um, yes. she's been posting like boudoir shots. And yes. yeah. I just scheduled my first boudoir thing. She totally inspired me. And uh-huh. I just think that this whole aspect is really important for us as women. Yeah, I love that idea of, and maybe this is, is very interesting because I found a lot of healing through having photos taken of me at a certain young early in my 30s there was an artist community that we were a part of and a lot i was able to be a part of 
many people's projects. And I found seeing myself through someone else's eyes really healing, mm. almost that I could align myself more with the reality of what other people saw because I was so busy trying to create an image mm-hmm. for within myself for other people. Then to have it reflected, it was really healing. And, I, and I'm loving your idea of kind of embracing all the dynamism of who you are through image with your instinct. That sounds like even such a cool practice for anyone to do. Yeah. I mean, it's really fun. And as I'm hearing you say that, I'm chuckling inside because I've been dating a photographer for the last six weeks who has lots of ideas of things that we could do for play. So I'm like, yeah, you know, there's something about allowing yourself to be photographed. I mean, it feels very vulnerable if you're not a model. I mean, maybe it is for models. I don't know. But to really like lean into those energies and be like, yeah, that's what I'm embodying right now. Yeah. Yeah. It is very vulnerable. And um, the I have been able to, well, I posed for one artist painting and I was so uncomfortable in my own skin and to have, and this is probably very too, I know it's hard for twos to like be looked at and gazed upon and receive the gaze of another person so i squirmed the entire time it was just so uncomfortable to Mm. have someone even though the artist is painting doing work yeah i felt so squirmy to be gazed upon i couldn't receive the gaze this is many years ago and then i another artist um painted for a series called ordinary saints where he painted just regular people and I was chosen as one of the portraits and the artist also collaborated with a poet and it to gaze upon your face was one of the lines in the poem that he wrote about my portrait and the practice was to gaze into the eyes of another person through these portraits like that Mm. was an immersive experience and it is so intimate and I've grown in being able to receive the gaze in to be seen, but Mm -hmm. it has been through a lot of art, honestly, Yeah. Uh, because when it's with someone and and now I can do it better with another person. I didn't even know that about myself until I started to see like, this is so uncomfortable. Well, why? Well, it's vulnerable because someone's actually taking me in, but even more vulnerable, vulnerable for me as a two to take in the gaze to be seen. That's so interesting. And I'm so glad that you're sharing that because one of the things that I hope people who listen to this podcast do is that if you're trying to decide, like, am I a two or am I a three? Because obviously, depending on your wing, there can be overlap. I'm noticing that I love to be looked at. Like, I I love it. Like, I think threes, I mean, we're looking, you know, we're actively doing things to capture the gaze of people, which is another reason why threes I think sometimes can look sexual because there is an attraction dance that happens with the sexual instinctual energy. I'm trying to think about what it is because I actually love attention. Like, yes, I walk in the room or yeah, please look at me. That would be great for my ego. You know, um, well, I do that too. Yeah. I just don't want you to look in my eyes. I want to look in your eyes, mm-hmm. but I don't want to take in, you know, but I didn't know this. 
Well, and I think that's your rejection structure of the two, right? It's like only see half of me, right? Like don't, don't see all of it. Whereas as an attachment type, as a three, I'm looking for the attachment. Mm -hmm. So by gazing into your eyes, I'm offering something up from me and I'm hoping that I'm getting it back from you. And this is actually something that I've noticed with twos, not you, but I mean, I've noticed with rejection types, there's a wall. You do not get all the way in through the eyes. And when and if you do, I mean, that is really intimate. You know, I think you can only do it if that rejection type has done their work. Well, it. I think this isn't often talked about with twos is, and it is rejection, but it's also, it's the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Of, I If I, like, I can't be loved just for me. Mm-hmm. So the anxiety that comes in that if you could get, and again, this is only through tons of work. I didn't, I knew the feeling of the anxiety, but I did not know it was connected to this. And this is kind of what came up around the holidays for me is that if you see that I'm not loving because my type is working so hard, like I have to be loving and I have to be helpful to be loved. That's a very simplistic way, and that manifests itself in a million ways. But if I am working constantly so hard to do that, and so if you catch that I did something that wasn't loving and you reflect it back to me, this overwhelming fear that I'm unlovable, that Mm. I didn't, because there's this part of me that I've learned that wants to transcend being human so that I can keep myself in that idealized self-image of being loving. So then I'm locked in. I'm Then I'm worthy of love. Yeah. Yeah. And it is so painful. Especially when you're not. <laughs> and you get seen for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I and then the object relations comes in. Then I'm like, fuck off. I don't yeah. know if you did. Sorry. No, this is explicit. I have it under the explicit category <laughs> so people can swear. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a category on the podcast. Is it explicit or clean? I, I've chosen explicit so people can authentically say what they want. Yeah. Thank you. I, I want to push people away when they see me because the anxiety comes up. Mm-hmm. So I've been able th- during the holidays, like this came up and I definitely was able to s- observe it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here is that piece. This is why. And can, can you dive I- into that? Because yeah, yeah. that's what we said we were going to do a little bit. And this sounds seems like a good transition point, if you don't mind me just doing yeah. a little inquiry with you around it. Ahead, and yeah. I talked to Freya um, ahead of time, and we'll see what happens. Like I said, nothing on these podcasts is ever scripted. It's all emergent, and we'll just see where we go. But I'm going to throw in a little bit of the resonance and nonviolent communication work that I've been training in and just see how it lands. And and I might be a little explicit about it as we do it because a, like, I mean, I always, I think this is my authenticity part. Like it's, I want people to have a little transparency into how we can show up for each other and how we can show up for ourselves when things are painful. So like learning any language If you're watching what I do with Freya right here, like this is a little contrived and this is, you know, we know we're being recorded and I have a goal of just highlighting like what this work even is. 
But yeah, no, I really want to do this because I love how vulnerable you're being and how honest about what the experience is. But I would also love to accompany you in this experience a little bit because as I hear you talk, so much of it deeply resonates. And I just know from my structure, my most painful points are probably different from your most painful points. But a lot of this, I'm like, oh yeah, that lives in me too. I think that whenever you're talking to somebody that is just the different type, but the same wing, you're Mm going to recognize a lot of things in each other. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I appreciate, I don't think I've really delved too much into my three wing Mm. and I see it when Mm -hmm. we're talking and I, you know, so it's, it's a new, a turning toward and just wanting to name that, you know, I was, when you messaged what's alive for me, I was in a very tender, vulnerable spot. And I consciously chose to tell you, knowing what my tendency would be. I don't have any needs. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And then this just shows like what's been worked in me for myself, like your willingness to support me. I'm going to cry right now. Yeah. Um, I was like, I want to receive that. I, as scary as it feels on one level. Yeah. There's this real longing to step into receptivity at this stage Mm. of my process. So thank you so much. That really meant a lot. Mm. Well, and my heart feels so sweet and tender and warm. And what you're cueing into is that there are some of us that just have, I'm going to call it mothering energy inside of us. And I think that's the archetype of the two is a mother type energy. So whether you're identifying as a two or not, if you're listening to this podcast, you can sort of touch into that part of you that loves to take care of others and that loves to nurture and to nourish. And if you're identifying with that, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh yeah, I'm like that. What is it like to actually allow yourself to receive? If you're identifying with this nurturing or nourishing energy that lives inside of yourself and that's dominant, really checking in and seeing what it's like to receive. Because I love this image of all of us that have maternal energy living inside of us, which is everyone. Some of us just access it more easily. What would it be like if we could just turn that on for each other? And when somebody expresses a need, just really deeply connect with the beautiful generosity of stepping in and meeting it. So thank you. That's really the spirit that I wanted you to receive it with. Also the way that I give, right? So, Mm -hmm. but I block, even though I'm longing for it, I block it because I don't think I can just, you know, have to give something to get it. Right. So practicing the next level. And um, I love, being nurtured and yeah. yet it's so vulnerable when you're a doer or a giver. Yeah. And I notice a lot of people block it because yeah. I naturally very giving, they're skeptical of it. They don't trust it. Mm-hmm. They block it. Yeah. So that's probably that too in all of them. That's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm just going to name that you actually are giving by receiving because right. you're modeling right. for the world right now what that's like. So I don't know if I just took away from your work of doing something without giving anything, but 
<laughs> but it is. It's like it's such a gift when you watch somebody beautifully yeah. receive. Yeah. True. Yeah. It's a different kind of giving than reaching out. It's yeah. reaching in and taking in, right? So it's just a different movement for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and what's coming up for me when a thought pops up is that, you know, this is a podcast where I'm also really interested in speaking about sexuality because as a physician, I work with people that really have trouble having meaningful sex with their partner. And I think that this is another piece of it is that when we're in our sexual instinctual energy, when we're in our social instinctual energy, when we're in our self-pres instinctual energy, I'm pausing on self-pres. I'm not sure if there's the giving and the receiving there because self-pres is really more about me. But I'm going to name both in social and in sexual. The best relationships and the best connections happen, I think, when there is this seamless flow of giving and receiving. And in both social and sexual encounters, if there's this imbalance where one person is really fixated on giving and or the one person is really fixated on taking, like it's never good. And I just feel like this is, if you're wondering how to have better sex, I think that's one thing that I've noticed that's really important to cue in on is where is that balance? And if I'm being blocked from receiving or I'm being blocked from giving, what's that about? And I just want to be explicit about that because I think it's not often named. And I think it's important. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I can just note, I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about <laughs> my, I mean, there's so much about uh, focusing on giving. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the, the friend of mine and I were talking about the sexual instinct and uh, the sexual too. And he, it's very interesting because it was like, twos are called others focused. And yet there is part of me that's trying to get mine, right? Oh, yeah. So interesting. But I would say as I've been with my husband for 24 years, and I would say as I learn to receive, our sex life is definitely more enhanced and yeah. has opened. He's self-pres dominant. And so one partner shifts, it usually changes the whole the whole stew. You know yeah, I mean? absolutely. How so, would you differentiate sexually dominant sex from self-pres dominant sex? Well, I'm really curious. An interesting question. Like if somebody's leaving with leading with self-pres dominant versus sexual dominant, what how does it appear differently in the bedroom? Generically, you don't have you could directly speak from your experience or you could say like what you're imagining and what you think. I I don't even know. I mean, that's such a new question for me. I really like it. That can I a- plop my observation into you and you can I just know, tell me what um, how it lands? So what I'm observing is that self-preservation dominant sex is very much about the body. And so self-preservation dominant people, I don't think they care as much about vibe. I think that sexual dominant people care more about the vibe of the experience. Like if you're sexual dominant, I think there's something around, there's got to be a right kind of music and a right kind of a look. And I want you to try for me and I want you to correct, create like sort of an ambiance and 
more of an experience, I would say, whereas like a self-preservation type of sex is more about bodies and bodies and like what's going on out here. And I'm just naming that we all have all three instincts firing all the time, so they all matter. But as I'm trying to tease it apart, I think the social instinctual energy shows up in sexuality around like the friendship and the like the play or the banter or the conversation that isn't like talk dirty to me, but is the other piece of it. So that's sort of what I'm mapping onto sexual experiences. Like if, you know, how I say I have the website page and it's going to have three pages. If I was going to do like an image of sex from each of the three instinctual standpoints, yeah. I would say self-pres sex is often what we see in porn which is just like body and body. And it's just kind of more about getting mm-hmm. off. I would say social is more like what we see in like a sitcom where like Ross and Rachel are like, you know, doing their thing and all of a sudden they've had sex. And mm-hmm. I would say sexual instinctual energy has like a seduction and like a vibe and like a like an element of, like I'd say, uh, I think Fifty Shades of Grey was trying to get at sexual instinctual energy. There was something dangerous happening there. So I don't think that sexual instinctual energy has to include BDSM, but there's something energetic about the sexual instinct. At least that's how I've been unpacking it. And I'm totally willing to be wrong. What do you think? I, I just find it fascinating. I've never thought about it. I don't need The vibe is more, and this might be the two, the vibe for me is more connection, which interesting the way you're describing it sounds social. And this was, and I'm going to take us just a little sideways here on this, not just because I'm putting it together. It took me a lot of work to split my personality of the two and and the social instinct. Yes. So... When you're talking, I'm my, it's probably the two that shows up for me more sexually than my instinct. But the, my husband and I talked about this one. So I'm self-pres second stack. When I get sick, I want to have sex. Mm-hmm. He wants to be left alone in a dark room and not talked to. Mm-hmm. Like a self-pres. But I, I want that connection to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. It's more about that merge for me than it is a vibe. Mm-hmm. And seduction, yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, I don't know, this is like such a new idea. I'm, I want to process it more. I'm not quite well, I love sure. that you're talking about that. That's so interesting to me. I, I went inside myself and I'm like, when I'm sick, do I want to have sex? And I'm like, no, like I want my blanket and my tissues and like, dark. And I might want somebody there to just like, I, I actually think that I would love it if somebody was just there and like held me a little bit, but not sex. But I like to have sex when I'm angry and frustrated. I think there's something about the release of orgasm that also releases the tension of anger and frustration. Sure. So yeah, when I've been in partnerships, I'm just like, yeah, this is about me and I'm angry and frustrated and I hope you enjoy it too. But like, yeah, you know, can we go upstairs? Yeah. <laughs> like for me, there's like this exploration and this is definitely part of menopause too. Just more opening up 
more and more opening and exploration. Yeah. Out, but it's that's a fascinating way to look at sex through the instinct lens. I just hadn't I hadn't done that cool. yet. Well, but you know what? If you ever want to do another episode on it after you've uh, done your own exploration and have ideas about it, because I think that so much of this only started coming up for me as I got so curious about the instincts in the past 18 months, I would say. And so, yeah, I've been doing like field research on myself and my own experiences and just looking at, well, you know, what are these different energies? Because the podcast was inspired because depending upon which teacher you follow, you hear some different things about these different instincts. And I've taken different tests and come up as different stacks. And so I know that we don't have consistency in the community around what we're actually talking about when we're talking about a stack. So people in general may be 100% right when they're saying this is my stack based on this frame. But if we kind of shift the perspective and look from a different teacher's frame, you might end up with a different stack. So one of the things that I want to embark on is I have a friend who also really enjoys introverted thinking, which is my auxiliary function or co-pilot. And what introverted thinking about is about accuracy and clarity. And I think that there are so many words that we use in the Enneagram community that mean different things depending upon the frame that you're coming from. So I may be starting another podcast where each episode is simply unpacking a word. And what do we mean by that? And what are all the different nuances? And that sounds fun for me. Oh, yeah, that is very cool. I like that idea, too. Wow, you're getting lots of things done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am definitely connected to my red essence right now, which is that activation and that aliveness and that initiation. And I have to be careful because there is also that element of overwhelm and the holidays really cued in on that for me as well. So let's shift back and let's check in with you because we can't leave our listeners without knowing about the tender vulnerable part. So although now I feel like we're in this fun, playful, sexually energetic field, let's go back to our hearts for a moment. And hmm, listeners can't see me, but uh, both of us, I mean, heart-centered people, and I don't know if it's true for everybody, but the heart is my path home. I put my hand there. And it brings me back to that which is most tender, that which is most true, and that which, you know, is really important to also give space and airtime to. So tell us, Freya, what what was most painful about this holiday season, if you want to give us a little bit of framing? Yeah, I think um, it was what's freshest it was actually a great holiday season overall and i tried it was a lot of giving um but to the core people instead of everyone it was still kind of high demand for me on that and i began after the holidays like after it was like the 27th my family had a um gathering my big extended family my mom has alzheimer's which is extremely painful thing to go mm. through. And I wanted my dad to be able to have a break. So it was just my brothers and sisters and their family, but I have five siblings. It was a lot. Wow. 
Yeah. And um, so I, I wanted, I didn't want my mom to feel alone and I wanted my dad to feel freedom to enjoy everyone because he's her primary caretaker and caregiver. So I sat with her and I just noticed, I began to notice in my body just this like exhaustion. Mm. And it was conscious giving as opposed to reactive, but I still have limits. So then... <laughs> Don't you hate those limits? I hate it when I come on a limit. It's like, I want to be an endless font of giving and I hate my own limitations. Sometimes I appre- I've i learned to appreciate them as cues now, but yes, if, if, if I really want something, I do hate the limit. Yeah. Um, and then we had a couple more social events. And so on uh, New Year's Eve, we went to one party for like an hour and a half. And then we went to some very dear friends, just another couple who we hadn't spent much time with. And um, I kind of had an intuition. I think I was tuned in enough to myself that something could go awry because I was empty and not present. I had had a couple of cocktails. We were drinking wine. Mm -hmm. And here's this friend sexual eight, dear, I love this person so deeply. There's a lot of love and vulnerability between us. We've never had a conflict. And Sounds like you're due for one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So long story short, he was sharing a vulnerability that I was not really present to. And I went into my to advising and he really roared, pushed back toward mm-hmm. me. And I pushed back a little and then started to feel shame, sat overwhelmed. So I went up and spent some time with their daughter in her room. And we had a lovely little thing. And I kind of was able to calm down inside myself. And was then the I- daughter feeding you? Was she nourishing you or were you nourishing her? She, I mean, I think my presence was nourishing her because she was tuned into her screen. She's 12. Mm -hmm. And I went in to just say, hey, and then she really opened and wanted to share all these photos. And and we were laughing together and it was nourishing, I would say, to both of us. So am I hearing that there was this exchange with the sexual eight? It activated a lot of things inside of you. You separated and went up to the 12-year-old's room, and that was just a place where you could get some spaciousness from what had just happened, and it sounds like you both enjoyed the connection and the play and a little bit of lightness because what was in the space with that sexual eight in you was like more than you had capacity for in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I had reached dry heaving any kind of giving at this point. And mm-hmm. I wanted to not care. Yeah. So I, and there were, was part of me in the interaction with him and I named it to him. It was like, I thought you could handle this because mm-hmm. you're my eight friend. Of you know? course. When those eights get tender hearted, you're like, what the hell? This isn't what you do. Yeah. Well, I've been in a lot of those tender spaces with him, but yeah. it, I didn't know because I wasn't there. It was yeah. such a subtle t- tenderness. Of course. And yeah. so I heard him. Long story short, I came back out. He risked naming it to me mm. and he called me out. Yeah. And said, I 
be, I felt this way more than once with you. Yeah. You pigeonhole me in this way and you started advising me. Yeah. And oh my, I mean, I can feel ugh, the ache in my heart right now at that because it's not what I want. Yeah. Of course. And then I also spend so much time working so hard to see that in myself before anyone can see it, mm-hmm. call it out. And yeah. so I got a little bit, I really tried to stay present and listen and receive what he was saying. I thanked him. I think I said I was sorry, but I felt the object relations rejection coming up in me. Yeah. And he was like, well, he asked me a question and I kind of went strong on him. Mm-hmm. I, um, He said something like, well, what do you think it is? And then I said, well, I think that you spend all this time intellectually feeding yourself to feel powerful and never get into your heart. And that's Mm -hmm. what you're just avoiding. So I just like, you know, I kind of. So there was the unsolicited advice piece tied to a judgment that I hear you regretting. It's like you had you had some evaluations, you had some judgments, you had some opinions and you offered them up to him and he didn't enjoy them. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. And he mm-hmm. felt that I was tight, like making him small and pigeonholing him in his type instead yeah. of considering him. And that was a trigger from his childhood. Mm-hmm. And so he, he told me we, we, it was okay. We got through it and kind of let it be what it was. But then what happened in me was well so this is (laughs) an inner narrative on the way home it well you just don't get all of me now I'm just never going to talk to you about what's important to me and so there's that's there's a rejection just like full force I have to hide myself you don't get me you go away and this is like you in your mind what you wished you could have said to him like, no. or like, who are you talking to when you say you don't get me? Who are you? I'm to- talking to him, but in my own I head, get it. totally get my it. husband was with me on the way home and I told him what was coming up in me. Oh I yeah. Great. I'm so it. glad that I want to celebrate that you gave it airtime in the nonviolent communication world. We call that letting our jackal go for a run. We use these two metaphors of the jackal and the giraffe. And have you heard these metaphors before? Okay. So The jackal is that part of us, you know, jackals are kind of mean, nasty creatures, you know, they snarl and they bite and they rip things apart and they have little tiny beady eyes and they're not seeing a lot and they're just kind of nasty when you watch them in action. I mean, of course, they're just serving their cosmic purpose, but you know, if you watch a jackal, they don't look two-ish. Let's say they look like they, they look like the two just went to eight, you know? And um, and that lives in all of us. We all have a jackal. And letting your jackal go for a run is just finding that safe space, which is not your 0.8 friend who's hurt right now, right. you know, but it's your husband where you're like, oh, this is what's all coming up for me. And, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, the jackal is so important because the jackal helps us to identify what it is that we're so deeply longing for. So when I hear you tell the story with the way that your friend received you, I first just want to name that I'm really touched and moved by the fact that you were on empty and you noticed the rejection structure and yet you kept your seat 
and you really held space for him. Oh, thank you. I try that was hard. Yeah, of course it was hard. I mean, it sounds almost impossible. Like I also hope that had you not that you could have had compassion for your tired self that just didn't have space for his bullshit in that moment because your bullshit was needed time, you know? I gave myself that the next day, like right yeah. when we were messaging. I did But let's pres- pause for a moment with this piece of you that was in the car with your husband. Because that part I'm wondering if there was this deep need to be seen for who you really are and for the care and the compassion that you try so hard to show up with in the world. I mean, I'm having emotion come up with you saying that. I mean, I think that part of me is so tired. Yeah. And um, I see it more how much um I feel like I always have to be loving and nice and say the right thing and and then there's a deep fear that I will not be loved if people see that I'm not always nice and I don't always want to be actually (laughs) yeah right sometimes I bet you're a bitch (laughs) I was was a bitch yeah yeah and you know that that part, yeah, what is it like to just acknowledge that that part gets to be loved too? That your bitch, like what if somebody said, you know what, Freya, your bitch is welcome here. Let her rage. What would she say? You know, imagine, and I'm not saying do this, but I'm just saying like if you lived in a world where there would be no rejection, even when your bitchy side came out. There are so few spaces that that feels safe for me. And I've been just trying to let her out with me. Yeah. Well, and you may be right. Not advising you to go be a bitch everywhere because you're right. Like, I mean, there are significant consequences. Yeah. When we allow our authentic emotions to flow, like that's the truth. And I really do think that like, this is my missing piece that I've been working with somatically and in other ways is like getting in touch with the high side of my eight Mm -hmm. and just doing it with myself, like working with Marianne, we did one practice where she had us like get solid in the ground and push up against the wall and scream at the top of our lungs and say no and fuck off. And, and I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's scary. I've done a lot of movement with uh, my friend Karen, trying to get in touch with that part of myself. Yeah. But sadness would always, and shame would always cover up the anger. Now the anger I can see and allow, and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, you know, like I said, like my husband can handle it. He's probably the only person that I don't fear rejection from. Isn't it so wonderful when you're heart-centered and you find a body-centered person that can handle your anger? Isn't that a gift? It's more the bitch or the, like, yeah, like he, yeah, no, it's great. And even with my sister who I'm really close with, I, I'm so afraid to be mean or bitchy with her or angry, even though she's a body type, she's a nine. Mm, So you're saying it's different. Yeah. Yes. And 
And but I think the work here for me is to first embrace that part of myself, and yeah, to to show it to my husband, let him witness it. But then the next day, really actually getting in and finding through my presence practice that in my heart was so much sadness that I hurt my friend and um, shame and then in the anger. And so what I did Because that's your connected part. And in NVC, we call that the giraffe. The giraffe is the land mammal with the biggest heart. And it has a very tall neck that can see above the fray. And it has huge ears that can hear everything that's going on. So in the NVC community, you know, on the car on the way home, you were letting your jackal go for a run. And the next day you had reconnected with your giraffe energy, which is, you know, that big hearted, compassionate person that you really are. And I'm just really curious you know, when you think about how scary it is to connect with that eight energy, mm-hmm. where do you think you learned that? What's oh, your I earliest know. memory of showing up with eight energy and being taught that that's not okay? I actually somatically went through this with Marianne, uh-huh. where I actually, and there was no pre-decided how, what we're doing here, what came up in my body was me actually reconnecting into my power Mm -hmm. and um, it was down in my pelvis Mm -hmm. and what it wanted to say was I am powerful, but I was, I couldn't say it. I was scared. I couldn't actually say it. I heard it in my pelvis. My pelvis wanted to say it, but I could not say it. And then I did. And the memory that came back was I grew up in an alcoholic home and I there was a, my dad was very angry and very scary. I think a sexual six. And I chose in that moment that I had to give up my power to be helpful to my dad. Yeah. And then it was modeled that, that anger was scary and destructive. So yeah. what, I'm going to exile that. Of you course. Know I, mean? I have to be loving and kind and helpful. Of course. They yeah. can't, there was that little part of me that was like, these can't coexist. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that we had said that we were going to do a little resonance in this episode. And what I'm realizing is that, you know, it's gotten long, but I'm going to go ahead and just do the head-centered description of if you ever wanted to pursue resonant healing, you know, offline with me, or I could refer you to anybody else so that you could just have an experience of it. And, you know, it's resonant healing I'm still trying to figure out, I'm not a trained clinical psychotherapist. I'm a medical doctor. So, you know, I know something about IFS. I know something about inner child work. I know something about object relations. And it really, to me, feels like it pulls all of this together. And I'm naming all of that because I think that there are people listening to this podcast that are psychotherapists and are trained in all of these modalities. But This process that I'll just frame out in case it's anything you ever want to explore on your own. And it sounds like you did a piece of this with, I don't know, Marianne, 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 Marianne. Yeah. I'm sure that this was a part of the work was bringing somebody with you to that little girl who got the message loud and clear from a scary sexual eight dad that wasn't present and impacted by alcohol, that it wasn't safe to let your eight energy show in that moment. Like that's your wisdom. 
that that was your self-preservation instinct that was probably right on target. Yeah. And that is the part of you that still knows that you're not going to be bitchy whenever you feel like being bitchy, even when you do connect with that eight energy, because we live in a world where there still are significant consequences. And I'm going to name that it's even harder for women than men to be bitchy. Like (laughs) it's that thing where assertive women are often labeled as bitches, whereas assertive men are often seen as strong. And let's just name that that is still more true than not in our society. So for any and all of us that are trying to love up our inner bitch and give her a little more freedom, I think that it's perfectly normal that this is really, really big work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the line that well-behaved women rarely make history. (laughs) <laughs> because well, most of us are good little girls and we've been trained how to do that yeah it's interesting too once I somatically access that power how actually um it's not bitchy it's it's such a I don't know for me the feminine power is quieter yeah and it's just like a really strong surging but it's it's like not bitch yeah like power it's very yeah. it's, I don't know how to, I haven't spent tons of time delineating on the the language but I can sense the difference between for me bitch is more reactivity absolutely and um but this grounded kind of feminine power I know the masculine power in myself through that aid I mean but this feminine power has a different quality yes. and I can it but yeah it's um it's not as out it's coming through loud and clear to me I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm using this term bitch with um a little humor and lightness that's my seven fix that tries to take things that are really really important and just make them a little bit more fun or silly yeah Yeah, totally but yeah, that you, what I hear you talking about. Have you done any of the diamond approach work? I'm just curious if you've explained. I it. haven't yet. Yeah. Well, you're talking about um, essential strength, mm-hmm. which is the essence quality that we oftentimes map over point eight. Yeah. So it is so important to delineate that we're not talking about reactive anger. Yeah. We're not talking about, oh, like, my ego is bruised. And so I'm going to just tell you about how that made me feel. And, you know, I just want to bring it back again to the skillfulness and the wisdom and the presence that you actually showed your friend in that moment. I mean, I, one of the things we also do with resonant healing is we do unconscious contract work. So if you were ever engaged with a resonant healer, one of the unconscious contracts that it sounds like you still have in this moment Um, and can I go ahead and share with you what's coming up for me? Yeah. So it would sound something like this. I, Freya, solemnly swear to my essential self that I will not become exhausted, lose presence and act bitchy in order to, and this is where it's like, why? Like, why can't I be a human like everybody else? Why am I holding myself to this standard that I will always show up for everybody else 
as this perfect angelic being in order. So what's coming up for me is in order to be loved. Yeah. So, and that's that core crux of the two thing. So when you actually hear that unconscious contract that you will never allow yourself to get tired and bitchy and reactive in order to be loved. Do you like that contract? Does that sound like that's good for Freya? No, of course not. Of course not. So in resonant healing, we invite ourselves to identify these unconscious contracts that make us suffer. So the next time you get exhausted and you lose presence and you are bitchy in a moment And then you regroup and you see it and you come back and you start doing that inner critic attack on, I can't believe I let somebody see that side of me. Maybe you'll remember that it is linked to this contract that in order to be loved. And so in resonant healing, what we would do is we would say, I revoke this contract and I, you know, I release it. And instead I give myself the blessing to be loved even when I'm human, or you can try on the blessing, you know, like, and to just to love my humanity, you know, like you get to play with the language. And if you work with a resonant healer, you know, we look at like, what, what is, what was the worst part of what happened? And it sounds like for you that the biggest super ego attack and what triggered the most shame and grief was that You were bitchy for a moment in the beginning. You didn't catch that he was tender and you responded in a way that was painful for him. And when you realized that you did that, you really jumped all over yourself for it from what I'm hearing. Hmm. For a moment. No, I did. I'm just like, there were so many different things coming up. Yeah. I think the next day I can take, I have, I need space to process and access like my feelings. So I gave myself that space and I saw all of it. I saw the inner critic. I saw the hurt and the anger and I tried to just be with all of it. And I did give myself compassion out to him and I owned it. And I, I, and he didn't respond for a whole day. And then I noticed my anxiety at the fear that he was going to not want to be friends with me anymore. And I tried to be with that. And, and then I got a really lovely response of that. We both Mm. are loving mirrors and risking staying connected with, I sent him this Hafiz quote that was like, why let the donkey in me speak to the donkey in you when I have so many Mm. beautiful, colorful birds and animals that's reaching toward your heart. Oh, something to that, that effect. Aww. And it's like, and I just said, thanks for holding the ass in me. And he responded similarly, thanks Aww. for holding the ass in me, you know? So it ended up, wow. and I realize how lucky I am to have, that's rare to have a container that you can have rupture and repair. Right. Isn't that beautiful? Like, I'm going to invite each one of us to just think about how many relational ruptures we have lived through at this point in our life. And yeah, when you have a relationship where there's a rupture and then there's a repair, that feels like real intimacy. And I can say that not many can hold it. And I I think that helped me. I have other relationships that are, have just cut me off and very hurtfully recently 
And I, because of that pain, I was able to see the preciousness of this pain and that this pain actually had opportunity and purpose for healing where this one had none. And so if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have been able to appreciate him. I would have stayed in the rejection of him in my heart. Yeah. Oh, that just is so rich for me. And I think it's so important. Like any of us that are doing sexual instinctual work, like whether it's your dominant, whether you're playing with it out of your blind spot, whether it's somewhere in the middle, like the sexual instinct, there's a lot of fire and energy and charge there. And it is going to create. Rupture. <laughs> yeah. Like with, if you have, if you have connection to a sexual instinct, you will repel people. Oh my God. I know that. Yeah. Right. And so like, if you don't like, what's the alternative, just get rid of your sexual instinct completely so that you can be completely neutral and bland and not offend anyone. Right. Yeah. That's so, I mean, I know you need to go, right. But there's so much we could talk about. I know. Well, let's do this again. But yeah, I think that that's a great place to stop is to just, Ah, like the themes for this episode for me are welcome in your sexual instinct and know that there will be rupture. Hold it with as much grace, dignity, and giraffe energy as we can and see if we can keep our own hearts open to repair and recognize that not everybody will meet us there and really, really cultivate that community where we can mourn those ruptures where repair isn't possible and keep doing our work, I yeah. guess. Good. I'm left with sex in the bedroom via. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's my way of dealing with anger and frustration. I, I, everybody else try it out. It's worked well for me. So yeah. yeah so good. <laughs> it also works well with grief. It's just yeah. a different energy. Yeah. yeah. Sexual healing. We'll have to do a whole episode. That. On That's that a great, great name. Great song. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, sweetheart. It was so sweet to have this time with you Thank today. You Thank so you. Much. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at enneagramblindspots.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice while Essence MD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free consultation.